Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, This is going to be a great episode, but before we jump into it, I just want to make a quick announcement that on Wednesday, February 27th, I am going to be at Clayton Studios at about 6 p.m., and I am going to be conducting a uh, two-hour seminar regarding the A to Z of podcasting. Um, I feel like it's been just a real thrill being able to create this show on a weekly basis, and I want to basically just kind of let people know what it is that they need to do in order to get their own podcast off the ground. Uh, mind you, I'm, you know, obviously the show has not reached the levels of success as someone say, as John Lee Dumas has. Um, but at the same time, I do love what I do and I've had a lot of fun doing it. And according to previous guests, I'm doing a decent job of it. So uh, thank you all of the guests for being a part of the show. Thank you for all of you listeners for downloading the show. And if you're in the St. Louis area, would love to meet you over at Clayton Studios on Wednesday, February 27th. Um, Please reach out to Clayton Studios for more information. The number there is 314-781-6200. Now, when you are growing up, you have big dreams. And when you you find those, um, those fellow students that are growing up with you, you have those big dreams together. You've realized that, uh, that, there is, that there is definitely a connection between the two of you that really uh, pushes you forward. And when it comes to my guest this time uh, for this week, uh, filmmaker Chris Etheridge, our passion was film, was storytelling. And in any way possible, we always wanted to do it. This was something that, uh, that we discovered about each other back in eighth grade when we met each other at Bird Middle School. And uh, that continued on throughout the years that we knew each other in Godwin High School. And that continued on even years after we had lost touch with each other when uh, he went to college, I went to college, I went back up to New York to study theater, and uh, Chris went into computer science. As uh, thankfully for the age of social media, we were able to reconnect, and it turns out that Chris was able to take that, hold on to that passion that he had of filmmaking for so many years, and cultivate it and expand upon it to the point where he is actually doing it. Um, I am proud to say that I have uh, that I have his uh, his feature film, Attack of the Morningside Monster, in my library, uh, which I think is I think is a, a Damn good, uh, damn good movie. Really, uh, real, uh, a real, definitely. Uh, I I would recommend that movie. It's a, it's a it's a lot of fun and uh, it's got a lot going for it. And I'm not just saying that because he's here. Um, and I am also proud to have been a part of his Kickstarter campaign for his Stephen King Dollar Baby film, which is Survivor Type. And he just keeps on going because 
he is now currently taking his new thriller horror um, with some elements of sci-fi mixed in called Haven's End. And it is making the runs in the uh, around the whole festival circuit and is actually getting quite a bit of interest. So um, here he is. I'm so ha- I'm so happy to have him here. Finally, uh, we've tried to get our schedules mixed um, meshed the right way in order to have him here. And as life tends to do, life gets in the way. And so finally, we have him here. Um, and it's my pleasure to introduce my friend Chris Etheridge. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. This is this is you're right. It took us it took us a while to get this get this together, but I'm glad we're finally finally actually doing it. Finally made it happen. Finally, yeah. and and I'm I'm so thrilled about that. So before Definitely. we jump in, before we jump into the origins of your filmmaking passion, let's start with uh, what's going on right now. Tell us a little bit about Haven's End. Right. So Haven's End is um is my second feature in four years, I guess, or five years at this point, because uh, Morningside Monster or the Attack of the Morningside Monster came out in uh, October of 2014, and this one premiered in October of 2018. So it was about four years apart on the wow. films. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a horror thriller. It's uh, mildly post-apocalyptic, meaning it actually it actually takes place right when an apocalyptic event is happening um, and the massive terrorist attacks are just decimating various cities and our, our protagonists are in Atlanta and they uh, basically leave Atlanta in the middle of a terrorist attack to head to uh, some family property in the rural countryside to kind of, you know, hole up and wait out the, to find out what's going to actually happen to society. Um, and then they run into other family members they weren't expecting at the property and so these three two kind of opposing groups have to figure out how to work together and then the real fun starts when random lights start appearing and um and hallucinogenic hallucinating type of events start happening in the woods uh while they're trying to survive so wow it's a lot of fun it sounds great it sounds like uh it sounds like it's going to be a blast so with a um considering that this is like a post-apocalyptic thriller um, and was it basically just a matter of kind of keeping, keeping everything really kind of contained in order to keep the budget low? You know, like, was that, uh, was that basically, there's what you definitely, were- there's definitely a component of that. I mean, that's an indie film thing. So, so Morningside is, as you've seen, you know, is, is not really contained. It's got 20 some locations. Um, right. it's a little small town and we, you know, we utilized it and, you know, and, and, and it's, it's on an, on an indie level, it's hard to, it's hard to maintain that. That took a long time to shoot that movie. We, we shot it over seven or eight months, you know, some big sections here and there, but then, you know, then we finished up on the weekends basically like, Hey, here's two days. We'll shoot some more. Um, and so it took a long time and I, I didn't want to do that this time around. This time around, I wanted to shoot the whole thing and just knock it out. So, uh, the way you do that is you minimize your locations. And so we have, um, we have, three main locations uh where the, like the uh, the apartment in Atlanta at the beginning there's a warehouse and then uh the basically this this family property that they go to where there's a you know like a trailer and a pond and uh you know and then just a lot of woods so it's it you know we, we limited it this time um and that, and that, and that helps you shoot it faster and we were able to shoot we shot the whole thing um basically our main production uh run was 10 days um, two, two weeks, um, it was a one day break in the middle of the 10, you know, the 10 days. And then, and then we had one day of pickups, uh, a couple months later, which was mostly, which is mostly B-roll was mostly establishing shots and things of that nature. And a couple of, couple of things I wanted to correct. We didn't quite get right on our, on our, <clears throat> on our very compressed time schedule. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then we had, and then here or there, I'd do a pickup shot as I, as we were editing, I would be like, you know, I'd really like to have this. And if it's something simple, like an insert, I can, <clears throat> I can go get it. I, it's really funny. There's probably three inserts in the movie that were all shot in my backyard. Really? You know, just, yeah. Just cause, just cause it's, it's, they're tight and contained and you just set the background to look like what it's supposed to look like. And then you, you know, and then you take the shot. Hmm, wow. Um, so Wow, that's 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 so cool. It's it's almost kind of like uh, the way that um, who was his name, Tom McLaughlin, how he filmed the last part of of Friday the Thirteenth Part Six in his parents' pool. So you know, just right. 
right, it's, exactly. it's amazing how you just kind of like you find what you 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 use what you have available. Yeah, um, it's like what Robert Rodriguez said. You know, like years yes. back. So. Yes, I mean, and, and Robert Rodriguez is just a you know, I mean, uh, he. I don't think it, most filmmakers of our generation it practically would not exist without him, right? Like Rebel oh, yeah. Without a Crew. Rebel, Rebel Without a Crew is a is a really interesting book because it's not it's not filled with a lot of practical advice like it's not filled with a lot of like here's how you do something it's filled with a lot of attitude and mm. it's basically if you read this book and you don't walk out of it wanting to make your own film i, I don't know what happens because that's what i did <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> <laughs> so speaking so speaking of those kinds of inspirations let's go sure. back to the very beginning now when i now when i knew you you know like during uh, in bird middle school right. we had no resources in order right. to kind of tell the types of stories that we wanted to tell we had the drive to do it. We just had we just had no idea how to make that happen. Um, and obviously, those projects that we you know kind of had in mind never really materialized. Um, but what was it that made you hold on to that? What was it that made you really think like I can do this? That's what I want to do because I know you you have your own day job, you know, working right. with uh, computer science. To sell, right, right. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so um, what happens after that? Like, what's, what was it that made right. you hold So that's that? a great question. So, uh, so went to, you know, went to college and, and was heavily involved in music in college, right? It wasn't really, film wasn't really on my radar. Um, and then I moved to Athens, Georgia. And what happened was I was moving with a friend. Um, actually, you know him, Chris Barton. Um, right. And, and he ended up having to stay in Richmond for the summer. Mm. And I had gotten a job, so I had to go. <laughs> you know, yeah. so all of a sudden, all of a sudden I'm in this town where I know literally no one and, uh, and I'm there for three months by myself. Um, and I'm like, Hmm, okay. So mm -hmm. I ended up watching a lot of, uh, a lot of like the independent film channel. Cause it was one of the channels on the thing. It was a, a lot of different movies and there was a couple of great video stores that, um, at the time, you know, in, in Athens and, mm -hmm. So I just ended up watching a lot of independent films and, and I just had this moment and a lot of filmmakers have that moment um, where I, I just like, I was like, you know what? I can, I can do this and I can do this better than that guy, <laughs> you know, which yeah. is a very ego oriented moment. Um, and then you go do it and learn that you're an idiot and you don't have any idea what you're doing. You figure it all out. <laughs> but, but, um, but that was, that was really what happened. So I was like, I was like, wait a minute, you know, you, you read about like the like Kevin Smith, obviously he's a, he's a great example of someone who made a, made a film. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so, and so I, I, I put together, uh, as I started meeting people, um, you know, and, and Chris showed up and I started putting together a, a team to make some, make some films. And we, and we made a, we actually made a, a movie what we shot in 16 millimeter that never got quite finished, which is, you know, very common with first time films is it, it's a learning experience and it sometimes, sometimes doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. Um, so I look at that as my, as my film school was that first film. Um, but then I uh, started doing a lot of the short film competitions, like the 48 hour film projects. Are you familiar with that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so did a lot of that for several years. Um, and just, and that was kind of like, I just did little shorts here and there um, and didn't take it super serious and didn't understand the festival uh, sort of environments. And then, um, and then I made one that did really well. Uh, it's called painted love. And it was, a, it was a comedy. It was a, it was a straight up comedy. Um, it's kind of a, it's basically, a live action uh, Toy Story version of uh, Romeo and Juliet. And it's, it's basically these uh, art supplies versus uh, like hand tools, blue collar, white collar sort of thing. And we we're just literally like holding like screwdrivers below the frame and having them fall, <laughs> right? And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely hysterical. And, and um, I took it, you know, and there was, since the 48 Film Festival as actually a, uh, competition, right? You you go screen them all at the end, and we won the audience award, um, and uh, and it it just it was the first time I had an audience like lose their minds over a film, you know. Wow. And I was like, this is the drug right here, <laughs> you know. This yep. this is what I want more of. And so I started taking it more seriously, and that's when I met um my my current producing partner. Um, actually, at that screening, I met my current producing partner, Stacy Palmer, and uh. We uh, we uh, both shared a love of Stephen King, so that's when we went and got the uh, we did the Dollar Baby program and got the rights to make Survivor type and and you know and I said I'm gonna, this is gonna be I'm gonna take this serious I'm gonna do it better I'm gonna learn 
instead of just kind of like every year doing a little small thing on weekend or whatever, I'm going to take it serious. And, and that's what we did. We did that. And then that, that led to Morningside. And here we are, you know, so now, it's, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, okay. so, um, so speaking of the Stephen King dollar baby, um, I've mentioned that before in previous episodes, but considering the fact that you've actually done one, I'm sure that there's quite a bit that I missed out on. So tell, tell our audience exactly what is a Stephen King dollar baby? What is it so, that's so, that makes King so awesome that he does something like this? Right? Uh, so, and the dollar babies have been around since at least the 80s. Um, and Frank Darabont famously made one of the early ones. Uh, and uh, the woman in the room, I believe, is what he did. And, mm-hmm. But it's basically, he's, he has had this policy, particularly with his like, less commercial um, short stories where he will let independent filmmakers license them for a dollar. And mm. the, the restrictions are you cannot, like you, you cannot be publicly available. Like you can't put it on, well, you know, now you can't put it online. You can't distribute it. You can't make money off of it. What you can do is you can take it to film festivals. You can, you can, uh, you know, send it to film festivals, uh, and, uh, you know, and let them be screened there. And you can put sections of it on a reel, and you can put like a trailer or a two minute clip online. So, um, so that's, that's basically, it's, re- it's, a, it's, a, it's a really, ni- it's basically a nice thing to help you get your foot in the door. So, you know, you make it with, a, with an immediate sort of interest because it's a Stephen King story. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then that, and, and, and it works, it totally works. And I didn't understand the festival circuit at all and had extraordinary success just submitting that movie to the, the festival that we did because you know, because people are like, oh, it's, yeah, Stephen King. And, and you know, it's, um, it's uh, one, of those, one of those stories that a lot of people really, really love just because the style is written as, a, you know, as a, um, as a diary entries, you know, type of story. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, it's, and it's, it's just an interesting, interesting story in a lot of, lot of ways. And, uh, and also very, you know, at the end, very grotesque. And so uh, it, we we get we had a lot of success with that, but you know it's 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 a thing where he, he makes it a lot easier now. Like you can actually go to his website and apply, but you know it used to be you had to write him a letter and and he would respond if he thought it was one that he could let go for a dollar. You know, so it's basically like you're creating a calling card for yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You're just making you're just making a film that that has a little bit more immediate interest because of the subject matter. Yeah, it's it's uh, going going back to what Kevin Smith was talking. You know how you mentioned Kevin Smith. How yeah. you know Clerks was kind of supposed to be a calling card film. It was supposed right. to get put in the door so that way he can actually be commissioned to make a real movie. It just so happened that Miramax picked it up and actually distributed he, it. So. He won, he won the lottery because he because yeah. because he 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 got it. He was at the the New York film market, and yeah. and he just the right guy was in the room. You yeah. know, the right, the right producer was in the room who saw it and flipped and, and took it to the right people. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm glad because obviously he's made a lot of fantastic stuff. And, uh, you know, but that's, that's the kind of thing where that never happens, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. it's, it's, it's winning the lottery for something that you actually did. You know? Right, so, you know, that's, right, exactly. And that's, that's the, such, a, such a key, key point there. So, um, so Survivor Type. So Survivor Type comes, you know, you, you work on Survivor Type, you get that out, which really was, I'm, I'm so proud to have, um, to have been involved in that through the Kickstarter. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was, yeah. A, we, we ran, that was a very early Kickstarter too. Like that was, it was, the platform had not been around that long. Yeah, but I, I, have, my, I have my mug, I have my, you know, yeah. copy of the DVD. Yep. Oh yeah, nice. still got it. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so from there, so you got the, you know, um, so you were able to make these sort of connections that got you into, you know, like over to a survivor type. And then from there, what was it about Morningside Monster? Cause you didn't, you didn't write that one, did you? No, no. In fact, I haven't written any of my work in a very long time. Like that's probably going to change. That's probably going to change here with the next one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a hand in, in writing the next one, but uh, survivor type and the Morningside Monster, Stacy wrote both of those. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, so Stacy wrote this, you know, and, and it's a very collaborative sort of process, right? Like we went through, um, I think six or seven drafts of Survivor Type and thirteen drafts for Morningside. So mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of here's 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 the idea. Now we now we refine and refine and refine. And so a lot of notes, you know, it's 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 not like 
she handed me a script and, and I just shot it. You know, we, we, we got it to where we were both very comfortable with the, with the things in it, you know? Yeah. Um, and Morningside in particular was, there was some difficult things that we had to break as far as the mystery to make sure we didn't um, throw things away, you know, uh, or give things away too early and, and whatnot. So yeah, you don't, you don't want to show your hand to. You know, right. To, right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, no, it's, it's, um, and then Har Michael Harper, who's our other producer who we met after survivor type, but um, before Morningside, who also produced Morningside with us, he, he wrote Haven's End. So uh, I work with the same people a, a lot um, mm -hmm. but it, because it's a very, particularly in any film, it's a very, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of risk and you need to have people you can trust around you, you know, um, yeah. or, or things can go bad very quickly. And, you know, and, and the reality is that I, I trust these two implicitly and, um, and I think the three of us together make, make our work very, you know, it's, it's stronger as we, when we work together. So. Now with now with that in mind, so more, so you get the script to morning side monster, you're working on that with Stacy, mm -hmm. you know, you're yes. getting that all that, that finalized. And one thing that I noticed that I took notice of, you know, really quickly, especially just, you know, just knowing about the, knowing about the, the movie itself as it was going into development, um, seeing the kind of actors that you were able to bring into it. Right. So, yes. Tell us a little bit about how you were able to get that sort of interest. Um, so, yeah, so we actually have two, uh, two name actors. Well, really even more than it's, it's, it, you know, basically, uh, you know, when you, when you're selling a movie and this is, this is for the most part of an indie film, it's, it's mostly about the marketing and, and promotion is, you know, name actors help help people want to watch it. Right. Like, Hey, I recognize that person. So, so we actively said, we're going to try and, you know, um, do something bigger. And we, we went out and raised some money, um, to, to get enough to, to pay for a, a couple of name actors. We had a producer friend who recommended Tiffany Shepis, who I love. She's been in a, about a gajillion films and, and still consistently works. And, you know, was just in Victor Crawley recently, the fourth hatchet movie. Yeah. And, you know, and just, it's just an all around rock star. Um, and, and, but it happened to be a friend of this producer. So I sent her the script and then had a phone call with her and, and she came out and did it. And, uh, and it was great. It was, it was fantastic. Um, and she, and was, had, she was very good in it too. You know, yeah. She, oh, she's doing everything. See, seeing the, and seeing that, that sort of name and everything, like I'm just looking around on, you know, Facebook and was like, Wow, he got Tiffany. That's so cool. Just right, knowing right. That, yeah. Knowing that, you know, like the kind of connections that, you know, that uh, that she's got with so, you know, in so many films. Like that's right. fantastic that you were able to to work with her. And yes, she did a great yes. job. Kudos to her for doing it too. Yes. And 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 she's very high on my list of people to work with again. She there was not a there was not Haven's in was a very small cast and mm -hmm. uh, it came it, it, it it came to me precast a little a little bit. So there was not as much room to um to maneuver with that one uh, but uh, i'm pretty sure she'll be in the next thing because because i just like it's been too long you know yeah um, so uh but she's she's amazing and then the other name of course is nicholas brennan from mm -hmm. buffy the vampire slayer and that was right. actually we actually used a professional casting uh director um to who helped us attach attach nicholas through his manager and that was a learning experience you know because i had to go through the whole actual honest to god you know, deal memo process with a manager and, you know, and, and the whole, the whole, the whole thing that you do when you want to attach a name actor. Um, right. And, and the negotiations, you know, and all that process. So it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was, I learned a lot. Um, and yeah, he came out and, you know, he, he was there for just a few days and, um, you know, so we kind of, you kind of, you kind of arrange the schedule around when you're flying an actors like, like, uh, Nicholas and Tiffany, you, you kind of arrange the schedule around their schedule to a degree, yeah. you know? Um, and so that's what we do. And, and yeah, I came out and, and just, you know, obviously did a great job in the film, you mm -hmm. know? And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it was, that was interesting. And then we also have some, some, some kind of, um, some people that I think are obviously fantastic people. Rob Prago, who is kind of a local actor who does, who's in everything. He's, he just, he just works constantly. Um, and then Kat Tabor, who, or Catherine Tabor, who is, uh, the lead in Haven's End. And, uh, she was, a, had a smaller role in, in, uh, Morningside, but she is also the voice of Amidala on the Clothes Orange cartoon. And, 
she's just it consistently works um, in all kinds of different interesting media uh, for Star Wars and for uh, um, what's the other thing she does? Oh, she's Minecraft. If you, if you, if for the for the people out there who's got kids, uh, Minecraft Story Mode, which is on Netflix right now, is also was a game before that. Uh, she's she's basically they they let you choose between a uh, a boy character and a girl character to play, and Patton Oswalt plays the plays the voice of the boy, and Cat plays the voice of the girl. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. So you have a Patton Oswalt connection that you know, like around around this as well. That's so great. Right, right. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting how like that's actually how to a degree it works. You meet people and they're like, like that's how I met Cat. I Rob. I knew Rob um, from the local uh, sort of group you know community and then he's like well i got this friend and that's how we got cat and then the next thing i know we're making the next movie with cat as the lead you know so that's terrific that's that's yeah. that's the dream like that's what yeah that's what uh, that's what everyone wants to do and that's i mean this is really just like an extension of you know what we were always talking about doing you know like in uh in right Israel, you know right yes exactly only we have cameras now <laughs> yes <laughs> and anyway, we would write a lot right we wrote we wrote a bunch back then. We did, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. We just never, we just never actually, yeah, we've never actually made anything because it was, I, I, I think that's one of those things we didn't quite figure out. We probably could have, like, we probably could have figured out how to do some, like, VHS camcorder type stuff. Um, but we just didn't quite, I, I think my, my, particularly as I got into, like, the second half of high school, my interest le started leaning towards music, I know, you know, and yeah. that probably, um, that probably, uh, that diverted me a little bit from this path yeah and uh you know with with me it was it was uh focusing on acting more and just, right um just you know as a as a, a huge like you know shout out and everything to uh mac dameron uh my drama you know my drama teacher over godwin who unfortunately right, of course passed away this past week and um you know he was without him you know like i wouldn't have you know, gotten to where I am now, you know, like he was the one who really kind of pushed me to get back on the stage. And yeah, all no. of a sudden it was just like, you know, yeah. Cause I know the feeling it was just like, you were focusing on music. I was focusing on theater and then, you know, went to school for theater. And that's where, strangely enough, that's where my love of writing really kind of kicked back into gear. And now right. all of a sudden, you know, now all of a sudden I'm writing a lot more, you know, these days. And uh, so it's weird. It was just like, you know, like our passions always kind of seem to, hang around for a while and then eventually just re-manifest themselves in a whole new way. And that's really what both of us are going through right now, which is, which is great. It's almost like a, like a Renaissance for yeah. us. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And I think it's, what's interesting is it, it was like what you just said is that, is that, yeah, like it's, you try new things, right? You want to like, you don't necessarily do the same thing as you're growing up. And, and as you like go out into the world as a young adult, you, you're like, all right, this is an interesting thing. I'm going to pursue this for a while. This is interesting. But, but the things that really are deeply embedded in you, they, they always find a way to come back out. You know, they yeah. always kind of like resurface. And, and, and when opportunity shows up, we're like, oh, I could, we could do this. You, you know, if you jump at it, you're going to like, I think you're, you're going to be successful with the things that you really, really, uh, are, are a part of your core. I think you're, as long as you like take, take the opportunities when they come, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like, and now, um, so you're working with, you know, with these, you know, strong, you know, higher caliber, you know, actors, you're making a lot of connections and everything. And, um, how was the actual like filming of Morningside Monster? What was that like? You know, you, there were, you know, several different kinds of effects and makeup effects and everything that, that you were dealing with. Yeah, what I was mean, that whole I mean, it setup? Was a, it was a juggling act. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like it was definitely a, it was definitely a very, um, it was a, it, I don't want to say complicated because I, I didn't really feel like it was complicated. It was just hard, right? It was just, it was just a lot of work and, and production is, production is just always hard. Um, it's, yeah. it's hard when you have millions of dollars. It's, it's mm -hmm. harder when you don't have millions of dollars, uh, <laughs> you know, but we, yeah, we, I mean, but it was, it was good though. We, we did, we did, um, we did the first section. We did it in, you know, like a nine day period of time. And then we did, you know, like I said, we did two days here and there for several more months to get it locked down. Um, mm -hmm. and then the opening credits were hilarious because, uh, the opening credits are uh, kind of like this, um, when we put the movie together, we figured out, we kept talking about this ritual, this ritual, you know, and we never really had a ritual in the movie. Like we, we have, we have like the aftermath, right. Sort of. Um, 
but we never really had a ritual. And I was like, I was like, you know, we probably should do something about that. So Brian Redding, who um, I went to college with, uh, and then we both ended up in, in Georgia later on, uh, is a, he's been my DP on all, all both of my features. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he, I, I basically said, hey, I haven't taken down this altar that we've got in the movie. That, you know, why don't you just, just bring your camera, come over. And he and I, by ourselves, shot the opening credits, the very last thing we shot in the movie. And Really? Yeah, yeah. And, and we just shot this, you know, we just kind of did the, the, the pans across the candles and, you know, and, the, and, and so this last shot of the opening credits is the monster kind of like kneeling at the altar and this, um, and this body, like the body on the table, the hand like falls into frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally that's me and Brian with the camera set up just to going. And he gets on the table and I get in the costume and, and we, you know, and, and we, so we shot it just the two of us in our basement in like three or four hours. And that kind of sort of set the tone for the movie, you know, a lot better. Uh, so it, it, it was a, the, the shoot overall, it was, it was really cool, but we, you know, you definitely have to pull some, some indie tricks, right? You definitely have to um, figure out how to do things as cheaply as possible that are still effective. Now it sounds like, and you know, there are there are quite a few filmmakers that really kind of thrive in that sort of atmosphere. Sure. That, that sort of constrained budget really forces them to get creative. It's like John Carpenter. You know, yeah. you can take a look at, um, you can look at Escape from New York, and then look at Escape from L.A., where he had right. a much bigger budget and much more freedom. And we have a CGI um, tsunami going on. Right, <laughs> and, and early CGI too, which yeah. is which is obviously its own set of problems. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, just so what, uh, when you have that sort of feeling, cause I like, I, I don't, you know, like, um, um, yeah, obviously we, you know, like you have yet to get that sort of budget and everything for your own films, but you know, like, would you prefer to kind of keep it in that sort of constrained level and just really kind of, which knowing the kind of experience that you have, how it forces you to get creative. Have you felt like you've, really kind of thrive in that atmosphere and would prefer it that way or would you like to at some point like to experiment with a bigger budget uh so the answer is a two twofold i, I do think that i thrive in that sort of environment and no i don't prefer it that way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me- meaning meaning i think there's a happy medium for one yeah. thing right like i think that there is a uh i think that there's a higher budget level that will solve some of the truly frustrating problems um mm-hmm not the least of which for me personally is wanting to be able to pay my cast and crew a little bit more mm-hmm. um, than, than, than what you can afford on a, any, like a super a micro budget uh, sort of budget. Um, and then also just, yeah, just like a little bit more flexibility. But the reality is uh, with, with very few exceptions, there's never a filmmaker who's, who's been like, man, I wish I had less money. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it just, that, just doesn't, <laughs> that just doesn't happen. So uh, I, I, yeah, but I do think you have to be careful. Like I think, um, I think you're absolutely correct. Like, like having un, unrestrained freedom um, can be a problem. Like it, it yeah. can actually, it can actually cause you to make uh, lesser things, you know, um, be, because yeah, because like, oh, I'll just I'll do whatever. And, and the, and, and the, the sort of constraint forces you to, to look at it and go, what's really important here? Yeah. You know, what's, what are the things that really matter? Let's get those elements in there. Um, so I, I think that the, the pressure is good. Like, I do think that the, the, um, the constraints, they make, the, they make the creative challenge uh, more focused. I absolutely think that. Um, but I, I'm not saying I wouldn't want to try it without <laughs> some right. of those constraints. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just kind of, kind of loosen the chains just a little bit. You know, yeah, just, exactly. And that's, and that's the goal. Open. <laughs> and that's the goal on the next one is we're, we're trying to, we're trying to um, move up to, a, to a, a slightly higher budget, which involves some different things. Micro budgets are a lot easier to fund, obviously. Yeah. Um, so it's the next thing I, I probably am spending the next year at least working on the parts, the components that need to be done to make, to actually find a, a significant budget. Awesome. Very nice. Very nice. So, um, so, um, so you have, so you finish up Morningside Monster, you put, you know, you're putting it together in, in the editing room. You're realizing that and you're like, Hey, this, this really is something we got something here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, so it goes out in, so what's, so what's the next step? It goes out into festivals. You start applying for that. What's the, 
what's the next step for aspiring filmmakers that are out there that are kind of in the same boat that you, that, uh, that you were in back then? Um, how do you get your foot in the door regarding the festivals? Is it so, the, yeah, that so that's, a great, that's a great question. And, and I did not know the answer when we were doing Morningside, just, yeah. just FYI. Um, and, and it's changed even a little since then. But here's, here's the best advice I can give a filmmaker is you got to go to festivals. You have mm-hmm. to go before, before you submit, um, even if you can, you, you've got to go and you've got to meet the people involved. You know, you've got to meet the filmmakers. You've got to, um, I, I also think shorts, like I, I would probably recommend, um, making a short first, just, you know, just for the exposure at festivals. If you, if you want to do, you know, you first of all, you need to know what your goals are. And if your goal is to like get the movie seen, festivals are a great way to do it. Um, it, getting distribution festivals are sometimes helpful, but I, I haven't found that to be quite as, as helpful as other people have. Um, but, but if you're looking to help grow your own personal community and, and help grow, you know, make relationships that help you continue to make films, festivals are fantastic. And I certainly have met some amazing, amazing people uh, from my travels and festivals. And, but yeah, I would recommend you make a short first because shorts are a lot easier to program right? Festivals can only show X amount of features and there's a lot of competition. Um, and that's actually what I've run up against with Havens in this year. Is it's been surprising to me a little bit just how much competition there is and how hard it is to, um, to get programmed because of all the competition. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I didn't know that Morningside. Morningside, I just blind submitted and, and got into a handful of festivals and that's when I started meeting people. Now I would, I do it completely different. You know, you, you, you do go out and you make sure you know, you, you make the relationships with the people, um, with the directors of the festivals and with the people involved with festivals and so that they know who you are, um, you know, and they know that you're committed to coming and, and, and that's what festivals really want is they want to make sure you're going to show up. Um, yeah. and I, I made a mistake, a couple of mistakes with a couple of festivals with Morningside where I just, I, I didn't budget for the travel. Um, mm. and, and, uh, you know, and I think they were a little frustrated and, 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 and probably rightfully so to be honest. Um, and, and I wish I had done things differently, but, th- but it's all learning, right? You don't, you don't know until you know. So, um, but yeah, definitely if you get into something you can make every effort to go. Um, if it's an international festival, it's a little different. Like th- they love it when you can go, but they kind of understand it's a little different, you know, with domestic right. festivals, they, they really do kind of want you to be there <laughs> and, and you should, you should go. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, it, yeah, so that's so Morningside, you know, we went out on the festival circuit and uh, and then we, you know, and then I went and found distribution and distribution with Morningside was a little weird because we went with one company and uh, and they had a lot. They were in the process of going bankrupt and we didn't know it. So it just Ooh. sat there and didn't do anything. We got it back because they, yeah. did, they never put it out. And then we went. But but then things had changed a little bit. So uh, we got a, we got a pretty good pretty good release through gravitas and uh and then apprehensive films um and it was one of their last films as well that they they ended up putting out on disc um and uh you know that was that was 2014 so really the the media market has been changing for a while but that was the big sort of moment in time where everyone's like i don't even know if we're gonna start we're gonna do discs for this you know right we might just yeah. Good. So when I'm um, so, sorry. So when you when you say gravitas, is that um, was it? Gra- is it gravitas ventures? Cinema gravitas, gravitas ventures. Yeah, they are they are one of the big um, VOD aggregators and distributors. Okay. So, so when I say aggregator, what I mean is that there's all these different platforms, right? iTunes, Vudu, Amazon. Um, uh, those are the three big like kind of purchase and buy platforms or yeah. transactional. And then there's you know of course streaming. There's Netflix, Hulu. Uh, uh, you know, and then Tubi, and like, there's there's so many now. There's so many, but you, you, everyone knows the big ones. You know, yeah. um, and Gravitas got us in. You know, so what you would do is you send it to one company aggregator, and they actually get it on these plat. Their relationship with the platforms get it on the, the platform. You know, so okay. they got us. They got us on iTunes. They got us on Vudu. They got us on Amazon. Um, they got us on Hulu for a while. Like, you know, Hulu back back then, Hulu was doing things where they picked things up for a year. So yeah. we were we were on Hulu for a year. Um, and that was really great for us. Like from a financial perspective, Hulu was awesome. Um, and then, uh, did not get us into Netflix, but Netflix is, Netflix is really hard to get into. Like, it's just, it's just really hard. You, you, they've got, they can choose from everything that, mm-hmm. you know, literally take anything they want and people will sign it cause they, they offer such a good deal and such widespread exposure. Um, 
that uh, it's just hard to, you know, it's just hard to get in there. And, and it was, it was a long shot for us anyway. And it was harder than it's actually getting a little easier because they're, they're moving back to uh, because of, you know, Disney's pulling all of their things. They're moving, they're, they're kind of moving back to independent filmmakers a little bit more right now. Um, oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that may, it may, that may be good for Haven's. I don't know. I don't, I'm not counting on that at all, but it's, it's uh, definitely more likely than, than Morningside probably. So. Gotcha. So with, um, so, so what was, what was your first experience like at a festival screening your feature? Like that's gotta be something mind blowing. It, it is. It is. There's, um, let me think, uh, let's try to think where the first one was. Um, I did one in, there's one in up in Virginia, up in DC actually. Um, and, and the interesting thing about the festivals is a lot of times it's either, it's either packed or it's not that packed, right? <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and, it, and it depends, it depends a lot on how the festivals run. So, um, one of the things, there's two kinds of festivals. There's festivals where they actually have it in the theater and the festivals, the focus, you know, and, and they, they promote it as, Hey, this is a big festival. Come, come join us. Um, uh, survivor type, premiered here in Atlanta at Buried Alive. And that was really awesome. That was a, that was such a great crowd. It was a very friendly crowd, you know, yeah. um, and supportive and, uh, and they, they really loved it. Um, Morningside, we, our premiere actually wasn't at a festival. We actually did a local premiere, um, that we set up, uh, which is also pretty awesome. It was like, uh, we, and we actually, you know, we had, had cast come out, we had Nicholas come, you know, come to the premiere and, uh, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, and you know, a, a really like kind of, like a wild evening. We had, a, we had a, so much, so much stuff. Um, but as far as festivals, like we did one in, in DC that was pretty awesome. And it was, it was a, a con, right? And when you do a con, they, they usually like partition, uh, like hotels sort of like conference rooms to run the, to run the screenings in, which I don't like because it's, it's really kind of a, not a great screening environment. Yeah. But, but people, you know, people come in and, and sometimes it's only like five or 10 people, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but I had such a great time with that one because there was a moment in the movie, um, that I had specifically included because I was like, you know, it wasn't in the script and I, and I, and I got to, I got, we were halfway through shooting the movie and I'm like, you know what, we just really need this moment. And it's the moment where, uh, without spoiling anything, he throws his weapon. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I I think so. It's it's been, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but fair enough. enough. Well, he throws his weapon at a person. And, right. um, and, and he hadn't done that the whole movie. And I'm like, he's got this great weapon, right? That, uh, Luke Godfrey, who's, uh, um, now works on just big shows. Uh, he, I, um, he does setback and, and prop design and special effects makeup for an art direction for like big, big stuff. He just did Hellfest if you, that came out. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Ago. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it, but he made this weapon for us and it's, it's just this beautiful, like it's a beautiful piece. We have two of them and Stacy kept one and I kept one. And, um, and, and, and I'm like, we've got this amazing weapon. He needs to throw it. He needs to like launch it at somebody. So, so we did that. And I'm in this, this, you know, festival in, you know, screening in, in with like 10 people and I'm in the back of the room watching and the guy uh, who is the AV tech, right. Who's actually running the projector is mm-hmm. sitting there watching from the side and he throws the thing and the guy like jumps up and starts like just waving his arm. And I'm like, yes, that is the reaction I was looking for. <laughs> <You know>? Nice. <laughs> that's, that's really it. Like, again, it comes back to that, like sort of that, that drug of audience reaction, right? You, you just, when you, when you, when you design a moment or a film entirely, but you know, when you design things to have a certain effect and you see that effect happening, that's, yeah. there's nothing better. There's nothing better. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's validating. It's, it's right. showing you that, you know, like that you are on the right path to doing what you want to do. And that's exactly. it really, it really doesn't get, you know, that, that sort of feeling doesn't get any better than that. So, um, so it's, so it's making the rounds in the, in, uh, with all the different festivals you're having, right. ex, you know, varying experiences. Some reviews are coming in. I think it was, um, I think it was bleeding cool who did a really, um, was it Bleeding Cool who did that really good, solid, uh, solid review for it um, for the movie? We had a bunch. I don't remember. If, I don't know. I remember specifically Bleeding Cools, but we had we had a bunch, and it was and it was um, the the way I like to look at it is is it, it, you know movies very rarely are you going to get like across the board. Oh, this is great, right? So yeah. Morningside hits a specific audience, and it hits that audience really well. So we had we had the reviews that that like it hit, and they they got what we were trying to do. 
they were just fantastic. Ain't it cool? Had a really good, a really good review. Um, oh no, kidding. Yeah, uh, Mark, Mark Mark Miller uh, had reviewed Survivor Type, and he he uh, he has been very kind to my work. He's a he, I guess his back when he was working at Ain't It Cool, he was Ambush Bug, um, but uh, he, uh, he he just he just uh, wrote some really really nice things, and um, and kind of you know just kind of understood what we were trying to do, you know. And, yeah. and that's, and that's, and that's what, and then you get people like, this is terrible. <laughs> Why would oh, I yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it is what it is. We, we have, there's a, there's a moment in the movie where we kind of explain one of the red herrings mm-hmm. and it's really like, it's, it's really fast. If I were going to go back and change anything, I'd actually change how we do that to be a little bit more, a little bit more clear, I guess. But yeah. what we, what we ended up seeing is a couple of times in reviews, like people, reviewers either they were you know they, they just missed that moment they didn't catch what had happened mm-hmm. and wrote articles saying hey this this doesn't make any sense and so i had to write a couple of reviewers and like like personal emails and just say hey um this is what happened and this is where it happened in the movie and 201 they they retracted it and apologized oh good uh, like, yeah in the reviews yeah so um so it but but it but but that's a good learning experience for me because you still have to make it you know you have to make it clear particularly in a world where when people are watching movies they also might be watching their tablet and you know <laughs> oh phone, yeah you know? oh like yeah like it's it's definitely uh it's definitely one of those things where you have to um you have to be as clear as you can be and and we, I I wasn't I don't say I was unclear but it definitely like it flew by pretty quickly so yeah um there's there's I there, I would I would have handled that differently. But but I'm also at this point not I'm not a big fan of like yeah let's go back and fiddle more and more and more like I I fiddle a lot right up until I'm done and then I just I think yeah you have to be done because uh, otherwise you'll you'll just uh, you'll 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 just go forever right, right. <laughs> like yeah it's definitely a uh, it's definitely a risk and and uh, so Haven's End uh, even now there's one shot I'm gonna I'm gonna change before the uh, before the video release but other than that I'm not touching it. Excellent. So, um, so speaking of which, so you're, um, so when was the concept of Haven's End in the pro, you know, like when, when was that, when was that birth during this whole, you know, during, uh, was it during the making of Morningside? No, no, no. So so what happened was Morningside came out and we, Stacy and I were working on, uh, a script that's called American Pastime. And we actually got so far as to shoot the opening Mm-hmm. But it's just a more expensive script. It's actually, I, I love the concept. It's basically uh, like Hostel meets The Running Man. Um, oh, nice. So it's, yeah, it's basically this concept of, of like in Hostel, wealthy people like pay to cut people up, right? It, it just, it's, yeah. it's a social sort of commentary on, on wealth inequality. And in this one, wealthy people pay to like pull, um, pull, uh, people like literally kidnap people off the streets and put them in arenas and force them to fight. And they, oh, wow. they gamble, they bet on uh, the outcomes and, yeah. you know, so it's, it's a really great script and it's just, Stacy wrote these like kind of ridiculously awesome arenas, you know, mm-hmm. they, that they fight in. And of course, like it's, it's really expensive. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> we shot the opening low budget and, uh, and it was nice. It, it came out nice, but even then we didn't have enough time to get it right. So it's, it's a little, um, it's not, it's not where I'd love it to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, and, uh, and then we just, we, we, we went looking for money and just had, hadn't had a lot of success with that and, uh, with finding the money for that. Um, and there's, there's probably that, that script may come back around. We'll, we'll see. Like, I, I definitely like it and think it should get made. Um, but in the interim, uh, I was, I was actually, um, a different project Kat had been working on uh, just didn't have, didn't have the, the kind of forward momentum that she was hoping for. So she reached mm-hmm. out to me and, um, and they had a script and it was, it was not, um, it was not what I would have. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so she said, do you have any interest in, in working on this? And I'm like, well, let's see if Harper wants to, to do it. Um, cause I wanted to do, cause Harper's a great writer and I hadn't made anything of his, you know? So, yeah. so we talked to, we talked to him and he, he pitched, you know, literally gave him like 24 hours <laughs> to come up with a pitch, <laughs> which he did. And he nailed it. Um, so he came up with a pitch. We loved it. Uh, he went off and, and, and wrote it. And 
uh, and it was, it, it was micro budget. So I was able to raise the money fairly quickly for this one. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. And we, we, we planned that in May of 2016 and shot it in December. Um, yeah, it was really, it was really fast. In fact, it's really interesting is it only went through three drafts. Um, and there's, there's benefits to that. And then there's also some negatives, you know, to like, like Morningside went through 13, Haven's End went through three. And I think that there's, there's gotta be like a, there's gotta be a middle there somewhere where it's some sort of a happy medium. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but it, you know, but, and then, and then we had, you know, we had to make some changes on the fly because you always do like, particularly with indie film, you just, you know, hey, you know, there's, there's not a building that has this thing that we need. So how do we change that? You know, that type of thing. And we, so yeah. we made changes on the fly. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it all worked out. Like it was, it was, it was fast and, and definitely, uh, chaotic, but, uh, as, as, you know, shooting, shooting a movie in 10 days is just kind of nuts, but, oh, yeah. um, but we did have a really amazing crew. Um, and, uh, people, several people who've worked with me on all three movies, a lot of people that worked me on the, on both the features. Um, when I say all three, I mean, including survivor type. And then, uh, and then, so, you know, and then every time around we have, we had some new people, right. And, and, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, if they're, if they, if they are awesome as pretty much everyone on the set was, um, then hopefully they'll be available for the next one. But the, the thing too, is that when you're working on any stuff, what you're also hoping for is that the people that you're, you're, uh, working with, you, you hope that they move on to bigger things, you know, you, oh, yeah. you, you hope that they, uh, that their, um, their careers are, are moving forward as well um and particularly in atlanta right now there's so much production here that the, the opportunities are uh are are um just there's just there's just so many of them and and one of my favorite things to do is like is to write letters of recommendation because that you know if, if that helps somebody get a job that's that's the one of the 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 things that i can very easily do to uh you know to to pay back something that's not really you know that i wish i could pay more for you know like that's a very easy thing for me to do is to help out somebody else get a job if i know that they're gonna rock it you know that's terrific that uh, that you're able to do that that you're that, uh, that you're taking that sort of initiative that's fantastic um so um so the filming of haven's end you know that's you know um you said 10 days right so that's yeah now you know like um were was the everyone was really kind of dialed in to that everyone was really looking forward to you know kind of you know plowing through it the way that you did or was everyone just kind of like a little leery of that what was the sort of vibe well i mean i i, I, I <laughs> that's a great question um <laughs> i i think that the the people i worked with before trusted me you know they yeah. they, they they knew it was going to be tight but it's not it's not the first indie to be filmed in 10 days it's not going to be the last um and so, you know, I just, it was really just a matter of, Hey, we all have to, we have to move. We have to be, you know, we have to move quick. We have to um, get what we need. You have to trust me that I'm, that I'm getting what we need, you know? And, uh, and, and, you know, and, and we, it, I like to keep my sets light. I like to keep them fun. You know, I definitely don't. Um, I definitely like, like if there was yelling on one of my sets, uh, I, I made that mistake very early on. I yelled at somebody um, you know, really early on in my career and it was yeah. terrible. Like it was just like, I felt awful afterwards and, and realized that that's not, that's not the environment you, you want to have. Um, right. it's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't serve anybody good. So, so I don't, I generally try and let that not happen. Um, I mean, sometimes there's like, you know, the, sometimes you have to like, like, you know, like, hurry up, hurry up, let's, you know, this type of thing, you know, particularly if rain is coming, which happens, um, and Haven's End, Georgia had been in a drought. It hadn't rained for 136 days or something like that. Oh, no. And, and then literally the day after we started shooting, it rained nonstop. Oh. So there's a section in the movie. There's a, we got lucky. There's one, the movie takes place over about four or five days. And there's mm -hmm. one day where it's raining the entire time. And we just happened to be able to sort of like, um, even though we didn't shoot that whole day in one day, we happened to be able to like shoot the segments. When the rain would show up, we were shooting segments for that one day. Oh, good. So, yeah, so we, we, got, we got it kind of um, – we were able to kind of contain the rain to one day in the, in the, in the chronological film. Um, and you didn't need a rain machine to make that happen, too. So that's not need a rain, yeah, no. It's, it's, it, <laughs> and I will say it adds – like, it definitely adds some production value in that regard, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it was good stuff. 
it's good stuff. But it was it was a little it was a little frustrating to be like, really, really, we had a drought, and then all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I I can't wait to see this one. So I I think it's I think it sounds I think it sounds terrific. It sounds like a blast. And uh, from what you're what you're saying, it sounds like everyone involved was really was really, you know, gung ho for making this the best it possibly can be, which is always a great thing. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, so it now, so now that one is going around, like you said before, it's starting to get some offers. What's that? What was, what was it like kind of getting that sort of, um, that sort of validation where people are actually like willing to invest in your, in your project? Are they basically just going to be like, um, now will the right offer basically be the one to, basically just kind of pay back the budget and you know well, put the extra so, cost on so top of that the reality is the reality is of micro budget films is you don't really that doesn't really happen anymore like it's very mm-hmm. very difficult to get um money up front to pay back a film because mm-hmm. because there's for two reasons one it's 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 very difficult to know how a film's going to do um it, it, on, on this level like th- there's a little bit of when you're at a slightly higher budget and particularly when you have name actors you know there's a little bit of a calculus that goes into that where you can say, well, if you've got this person, we know is probably based on their past movies, it's probably going to make X amount of money. You know, they can, they can do some, some math there and actually give you a, what's called a minimum guarantee for yeah. this level. That's pretty much gone. It's pretty much uh, MGs don't exist anymore. And uh, so you make, you make deals based on profit sharing. Like, Hey, we'll, we're going to put this out and we're going to market it some, although that's usually that's still on the filmmaker a lot of times. Um, and, and we'll split it with you. And so the split levels are different based on the different companies offer and, and, you know, and, and their reach. And sometimes a company that maybe is a little bit better known will, will not have quite as big a split for the filmmaker, but you can take the risk that they're going to get, they're going to get seen more, you know, because they're a bigger yeah. company. So th- things like that, that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of, um, stuff I'm looking at right now. And we have, we have uh, a handful of offers on the table right now. And I'm just kind of weighing them and, and, and waiting for the festival run to be getting closer to being over. And then, um, and then we'll, we'll make a decision. And, and, you know, usually from when you make a decision nowadays with the VOD side, you make a decision and it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's three, three to four months and it's out, you know? Wow. Um, so sometimes, sometimes it's more, it depends on the company too. Like how many movies they have on their schedule? When does it go? Um, and then physical media is a totally different game now. It, it, and honestly, it just depends on whether, usually if it comes out on DVD, it depends mostly on, uh, either, you know, either you can do it yourself and not let the production company do it. If you want to self sell your DVDs, yeah. um, or, or if, if, a, one of those stores like, uh, family video or, or Walmart or Best Buy pick it up, then they'll, they'll run, they'll print copies, you know, in that scenario to get them into the stores. Um, but there's a lot of, it's just, it's, 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 it's not a dead market. Like a lot of people saying it's dead and it's, it's, it's not, there's still several billion dollars a year sold in physical media, but it's, it's definitely a more niche market now and you have to treat it like a niche market. And that includes decisions on what to print and when to print and things of that nature. Gotcha. So the the days of say like uh, you know the Salkinds working with Warner Brothers for that negative pickup deal on the first Superman movie, right. those days are pretty much gone. Uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, it still happens on the Hollywood level some, but it's it's much much more rare. It doesn't happen at all on any or very. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible um, that it happens on any level, but certainly not on the micro budget level. That's yeah. I, the only the only time I've seen that happen recently is there's, there's a, a grindhouse film called the Amazon Box or the sorry Amazon Hot Box um, okay. that uh, a friend of mine directed and it, it's they they pre-sold it internationally really they pre-sold it internationally to, with some relationships that they had you know with some international companies from some previous movies mm-hmm. and then uh, went and shot it in secret. Um, and we were very, very closed mouth about it. Um, I, like uh, people I knew, like including myself, knew something was happening, but didn't know what it was. And, yeah. and then they launched the Kickstarter with the movie completely finished. And wow. And yeah, and, and it had a very successful Kickstarter because they're like, hey, here it is. We're going to, you know, you'll literally be in your mailbox in a month instead of, hey, give us money to make this. You know, they, they said, right. they said, give us money to give us money to send you a disc, you know, which is a lot different. And um, and they they had they had a very successful Kickstarter and, and again had already made the movie had already shot it so um, that's fantastic yeah, yeah. 
So, but yeah, and that's that's a really good example of, of indie filmmakers finding creative ways to get their movies made, you know? Yeah. So, so speaking of that, so um, with the, um, with the, that sort of, you know, creative way that uh, the indie filmmaker was able to get their, their projects out there into the world, uh, what advice do you have? What, you know, like what's, what's one big piece of advice you can give to an up and coming filmmaker? that's that's wanting to they're basically kind of like in that same boat that you were back you know back in the day when you were putting together your own projects and not really sure what it was that you were going to do with them but they have that passion they have that drive and they want to get it out there so what do you have to say to those those lucky people uh figure out your goals you know figure out figure out what your goals are uh and know your audience those those are the two things i think i think uh um know, know your audience is there's kind of two, there's kind of two um, sort of approaches you can take to film, which is uh, um, make something that you yourself would want to see, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which you, I think you should, by the way, but that's almost, that's almost a different way to say know your audience anyway, right? Is, yeah. is if you or your audience know what you want to see and know that there's other people that want to see the same thing. Um, and just, and just, you know, and, and, and re- respect the fact that you're, 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 you're making a film for an audience. Um, you're, you're not necessarily making it for yourself. I mean, maybe you are, but, but if you, if your goal is to get it seen by a lot of people, then you got to make sure that you're making something people want to see, you know, that's, yeah. that's a, uh, and maybe that's not your goal and then that's fine. Just know, know, know what you're trying to do and, and, um, you know, react appropriately, make, make decisions based on what your ultimate goal is. You right. And if, and if your goal is to have something you can say, I, I made this and it's exactly what I wanted to make and I don't care. Fine. That's great. Just know just have your expectations tempered, you know, as far as, uh, as far as what the reaction might be from other people. Gotcha. So, um, where can, where can our listeners find you? Um, cause I'm, I'm sure that they're going to want to check out attack of the morning side monster. They're definitely, I'm definitely sure that they are going to really want to check out Haven's End when the time comes for that to come out. But in the meantime, where can they find you in terms of like social media and the internet and as a whole? Right. So, uh, so Haven's End Movie on, uh, I think it's on all three. I think it's on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and uh, Facebook is, is a really good place to go. Uh, Morningside is available. It's, it's free to watch on Amazon Prime streaming if you have Amazon Prime. If not, you can, you can rent it uh, from or buy it from iTunes, Vudu, uh, uh, Amazon as well. The DVD is available from Amazon. It is on Blu-ray through uh, a company called Horror Pack, which I actually co-own, um, which is a, a DVD and Blu-ray horror subscription service. And no kidding, you you you're a co-owner there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, That's awesome. My, my partner Diego and I built that company. Um, as wow. A side thing. Yeah. Well, and honestly, it came out of Morningside not doing very well on physical media and me, me getting pissed off about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So we so we built this uh, this this wonderful small business that we've kind of turned, you know, we've kind of built a, like kind of a fan base and, and uh, we, we, we are able to use it as a platform to get any filmmakers on Blu-ray where they can't otherwise do so. Um, and we've released 30, I think this month is, yeah, February is the, our 32nd limited edition. we every month we send four discs and one of them is a limited edition where we, we either work with an, another distributor or we go and acquire the rights ourselves from any filmmaker and write them a check. And oh, wow. And then we put together the Blu-ray and send it out. Um, so we have, like, you know, we have the numbered spine and everything, right? You can go all the way through one through thirty-two with the spines, and um, it's just it's 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 a fun it's a fun side thing that kind of keeps keeps me heavily involved in the community, which is where I want to be, and right. um, and also like keeps me actively like focused on what's going on in the distribution world of the micro-budget level. Um, it's you know, and then we sponsor film festivals, and we we just try and give back a little bit. Um, and we're getting ready to do a, uh, we're getting ready to get into production a little bit with a short film. We're helping out uh, a filmmaker named Aaron Day, uh, and uh, who wrote and is acting in this film called Do So D U S S O, which is on Seed and Spark right now. You can you can actually go there and give uh, you know and donate to that production. Um, it's going to be directed by Jenna Kennel, who is um, an uh, uh, actress, director, stunt woman, uh, extraordinaire. She does, she does it all. And she was the lead in the big indie hit called terrifier from last year, which is a killer clown movie. Oh, wow. Um, 
and it's on Netflix, um, but she's directing this one. So, so we're, we're going to help them out a little bit, um, promoting the, promoting the do so. And then hopefully we'll do something with it in the future or through our label. And what's the, uh, what's the URL for that? Um, for was, you said horror package, right? Horror pack, H O R R O R P A C K.com. Okay. Awesome. And now, um, my final question, since, uh, since we are, um, by, by the time this, uh, this comes out, this will be out on Tuesday and it'll be out the Tuesday before the Oscars. So you still have to to say this, um, name one, what's one prediction you have for next Sunday's Oscars? Oh, wow. Oscar prediction. Uh, just one. Uh, it's going to be very, it's going to have very low ratings. That's my, <laughs> based, based on everything that's happened this year. Um, I, I think it's turned off a lot of people. They've made some really questionable choices and had to, had to walk them back a bunch. Um, most recently with the cinematography and editing and, and the, the, the Oscars that they were going to run during the commercials and then show later. Um, yeah, I, I I don't understand that at all. I do it, it, not understand that, that way of thinking. I think it's, I mean, I honestly, I think that, when you start getting into the world of Hollywood, right, it's all about, um, it's, it, there's a, just a different perspective on what, what brings value to films and it's mostly people, right. And yeah. it's mostly actors and, and, and the, the sort of celebrity component. And, and you, you have some people that decided that was more valuable and didn't understand that the, the people who make the movies don't see it that way. Yeah. Right. And, and they got a lot of, a lot of pushback because their their viewpoint was isolated to one thing that's not actually necessarily true in the grander scheme of things. So, um, as far as like who's going to win what, um, that's a really good question. My um, my gut is a Star Is Born is going to win Best Picture. Uh, yeah. I could be wrong. Roma's got a decent shot too, of course. Uh, but but if you look at things like Argo and um, uh, Hollywood really likes to award, like, award, like the Oscars, they really like to award films that um, speak to the, to, the, to the world of Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they yeah. really like self-referential stuff and Stars Born being the fourth iteration of that kind of classic story that's all about um, that, 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 that celebrity process. Like I, I got a, I got a gut feeling that it, it gets, it gets uh, chosen in the end. I could be wrong. Nice. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out exactly where I'm going to go with my own, with my own Oscar predictions, but this definitely helps. So um, folks, I can't, I can't iterate enough just how much you will get rewarded if you hold on to the passions that, that drive you. Um, you will, you know, like as, if you don't give, give up on them, guess what? They're not going to give up on you. And they're going to find a way to manifest themselves in some way, shape, or form that very likely you would not have expected. Um, that happened with Chris. That's happening with myself in its, own, in its own fun way. And it's happening with so many other people out there. And I really, really hope it happens for all of you. So uh, for Chris Etheridge, This is uh, George Soroy saying to all of you, thank you so much for listening and ever upward. I'll see you next week.